Are you happy to be here today? Listen, I thought I would start this second service by just reminding us of this truth. There's this phrase, familiarity breeds complacency. What that means is just we get so used to something, we've heard it so many times, that we can kind of lose the, uh, I guess, the, the wonder and the excitement of what it is that we're talking about. And we're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so here's what I want to say. Just imagine for a moment. Use your holy imagination. And, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that at one time there were about 500 of the brethren that were gathered together that saw the resurrected Lord. So I want you to imagine for a moment they were there on Friday. We, we believe there were over a million people there um, for the Passover, they would have witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. So everybody in the room saw this great teacher, this prophet, this miracle worker that has been making these big, bodacious claims, and they saw him get killed on Friday, and now it's Sunday. It's the resurrection Sunday, and all of us are gathered together, and all of a sudden in the midst of us is the one that we saw killed on Friday standing in front of us in the flesh, alive. How many of you know there'd be a little bit of excitement in the room. I said, how many of you know that there'd be a little excitement in the room? Amen? Amen. So he, here it is. He is risen. Oh, that is lame, guys. You had a whole year of practice, right? We, every year I, I do that. He is risen. He is risen indeed with a, with a conviction and with a boldness um, and a confidence knowing that we serve a risen Savior today. It is good to be in God's house. It's good to celebrate. Every Sunday we celebrate a risen Jesus, but today's special. You say, why is it so special, Shane? Why is Easter so special? Well, let me just consider this for a second. There are many religions in the world, and they're different founders, they're different prophets, and they're different teachers for thousands of years. But there's only one religion, Christianity, whose founder made the claim, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. And then on top of that, he gives irrefutable proof, evidence of who he was by conquering death and coming out of the tomb. Isn't that crazy? Had all the religions, and what's more, there are some religions, like four major religions that are based on personalities. And out of all of those religions, based on personalities, only one, only Christians today have this testimony, our founder is Christ, and he's alive. So think about it. Abraham was the founding father to the Jewish people. Every Jew knew that Father Abraham, and, and they knew when he died in Genesis 25, they buried him in the cave in Machpelah um, there with his wife Sarah. And so they buried him, and there was not a Jew that expected at any time that that tomb would be empty. Buddha, who was several hundred years before Jesus, you know, he came and taught, and when he died, none of his followers ever made the claim that they spoke to or saw Buddha after he was dead and buried. He's still in the tomb today. And the same thing is true for Muhammad, the, the founder of Islam. Um, and today, there are people that will make the, the, the trip to Medina and it's like South America somewhere, South, I don't know where's that, South Arabia, somewhere in there. Somebody with Google, look it up. Anyways, but they, they make the trip every year to go see the tomb, the grave place of Muhammad, and, and yet there's Christianity, Jesus, that we serve today, and we say that he is alive. Jesus is alive. That's a pretty outrageous claim, isn't it? Think about it for just a second. Jesus died. He was buried, and three days later, he came out of the tomb. <laughs> we believe it. I've heard it my whole life, but... And the reality is, is there are people that are going to go, Shane, that's just a hurdle that's a little hard for me to get across. 
I mean, Jesus was dead and now he's alive, and I'm just having a struggle with that, and it's a, it's a hard hurdle for me to overcome. I got some good news for you. You're not alone because the disciples, even the ladies that first found Jesus, the tomb was empty, they also struggled with this little doubt or maybe some skepticism initially, and they struggled with it, but we know from the rest of the story that when they had an encounter with Christ, it changed everything, right? They had an encounter that turned their world upside down. And so you're in good company, so I don't want you to feel bad, but here's the other thing. I believe God wants us to know, and he doesn't expect us to come to our faith checking our brains at the door. What I mean by that is like, hey, we're just blind faith walking around like, I believe it, and you can't test it. Let me tell you, God is strong enough to handle the critics, and he's strong enough to handle the questions that we may bring his way. Amen? And so it's okay when we go like, I believe, I want to believe, but I struggle here. And I just want you to know you're in good company today. And so as we look today in John chapter 20, I want to point out some things. And I want to share with you what I think are some evidences for me, some proofs that I have just hung on to for years that have emboldened my faith and given me much more confidence in the resurrection of Jesus. Hey, I wasn't there when Jesus came out of the tomb. But I believe it as, as sure as I'm standing here today, he lives. Amen? So consider the, the first day Jesus uh, rose. It was on a Sunday morning, uh, J- chapter 20, verse 1. Let's read. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark. Now, this morning I was walking from my shop back to my house, and there was a full moon, brisk outside, and I thought, I wonder if this is what it was like when they were on their way to the tomb. So they were on their way to the tomb early while it was still dark. Luke tells us that the ladies were taking with them spices to prepare Jesus for burial. That's a very important point there. So they were taking with them these spices. It says, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is John. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. I like how they just include those little details, like John is one up and Peter, like I outran him, totally did. It says he outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. He stooped in and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth um, with the head covering or that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and listen to this, he saw and believed. He's the only one that saw the empty tomb and immediately believed. Like, <laughs> he did it. Jesus said he would do it and he did it, right? That's John. The rest of the guys had a little bit of a struggle with it. So as we see, the women. And so it says, um, he saw and he believed. And verse 9 says, for until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. It says, then they went home. Verse 11 says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stood and she looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head um, and the other at the foot of the place where Jesus, or the body of Jesus, had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Just a reminder, when Jesus was crucified, I believe it was Isaiah that said that he was beaten so bad that it was hard to recognize him even as a man. Covered in blood, the crown of thorns, they'd plucked beard, you know, handfuls of beard out of his face, his hair, and so... It was a completely different scene on Friday, so she doesn't recognize him at the moment. Verse 15, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? He knows. 
She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. So what is she thinking at this moment? She's not expecting a risen Savior. She's expecting a body to prepare for burial. That's why they're bringing the spices with them. They're going to the tomb expecting to prepare the body of the, of the, of the, the teacher that they love so dearly. And she's like, if you took the body, just tell him. Tell us where he's at so we can go get him. And then Jesus, with just her name, verse 16 says her, says her name, Mary. And in that moment, it says, she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which in the Hebrew means teacher. And she recognized that it was Jesus. And it says, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers. Okay, this is the ladies. Hey, you've seen Jesus. Now you believe. Now go tell my brothers. Easier said than done, right? So what we learn in also the Gospel of Luke, it says that the ladies went back and told the disciples, hey, we've seen the risen Lord. And they're like going, Mm, that sounds like nonsense. I don't believe it. That's what it says. They did not immediately believe the testimony of the ladies. And so John goes on, and uh, it's that evening, Sunday evening, verse 19. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. And he says, peace, be still. And I think he said that because they're probably freaking out a little bit since the doors were locked and all of a sudden, Jesus is in there with him, right? Peace, be still, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now as my witnesses. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So the ladies see Jesus. Or they go to the tomb, and they're not really believing until they saw Jesus. They go back and tell the disciples. They don't believe the story until Jesus shows up in the midst of their locked door meeting and shows them proof that he was alive. But there was one that wasn't there. And I love it that it records this because I believe all of us can relate to a doubting Thomas from time to time. Amen? So Thomas wasn't there. It says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. And can you imagine how they're like excited that they had seen the risen Lord? And I'm sure Thomas is probably a little bit butthurt, if I can say that in church, right? He's a little upset. Well, you guys are so excited, and I didn't get to see him. And it says, they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. This just is an outrageous claim. Jesus is alive. I can't go there. I can't cross that hurdle in my mind. I saw what I saw Friday, and he was dead. And I can't believe, and I won't believe until I see him for myself. And I put my hand on his side in his hands. I love this. Because this is eight days later. Don't you know that was a long eight days for Thomas? Eight days later, I'm sure he's wrestling with his faith. It says, later the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked like they were before. It says, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. And again, he says, peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the womb in my side. And then he says, don't be faithless any longer. In one word, believe. I love that. And then he says, my Lord and my God. Thomas exclaimed, and Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those, blessed are those who believe me without seeing me. 
Church, can I just tell you, that includes all of us in the room today. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Now, I realize that a claim like that is a pretty outstanding claim to make without backing it up. And I love uh, what we see in the Gospels and how Jesus was so good at revealing himself and just validating everything he said and what he said he would do to prove to them uh, that he was indeed the risen Lord. And I thought there's a, a little pattern here you see in every one of these situations. And here, here it is. It's encountering the resurrected Christ was the ultimate proof that moved them from doubt to belief. So they were skeptics. Any, any skeptics in the room? I mean, my dad used to tell me, believe none of what you hear and only half of what you see. I think if my dad was alive today, he'd say, check that. Don't believe anything you see anymore either. Right? We get these soundbite snippets in the news and we see just a little fraction of it. Like, you don't know what to believe anymore. Believe none of what you hear and half of what you see. It's hard to, it makes us all skeptical, doesn't it? And so we see here that the encounter with the resurrected Christ was the ultimate proof that they needed that moved them from skepticism, that moved them from doubt, and moved them to belief. And that is the ultimate goal that he wants for all of us. So now I wish I could do something for us this morning. I wish if we were struggling to believe this truth of the, the resurrection that Jesus would just show up right now in our midst. And how many know he can do that if he wants to? I don't think there's anything impossible for him. And I think we would freak out a little bit if Jesus just popped up in the room like, are we doing this right, Jesus? I mean, was the songs right? I mean, are we dressed right? I mean, this is cool that you're here and all, but I think if Jesus showed up right now and just said, here's the proof, here I am in the flesh, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? The reality is, is he's not going to do that. One day we will see him again. Hallelujah for that. What a great day it's going to be. But for us, we walk by faith and not by sight, but it's not a blind faith. And so I want to share with you just a few things that are like proofs to me. As I said, I don't think he wants us to check our brain at the door. It's not a blind faith. Um, it's just like he gives us these little nuggets, these little breadcrumbs, if you will, a trail. And you can put these things together. And when you put them together, it just builds for me a confidence, an absolute confidence that I know what I believe. And I stand just as true as I'm standing here today. I believe in the resurrected Christ. Right? So imagine for a moment, a murder has taken place, and then the detectives get out, and the investigators get out, and they start doing their work. What do they do? They start looking for evidence. So they get eyewitness testimony. They go around um, checking with who saw what, and they put together a timeline, a, you know, a timeline of events, and they look for things that happened. They look for things that didn't happen or things that weren't said, and they start piecing together everything that might have possibly happened, and they come to the conclusion based on all the evidence that they've collected. And I think the same thing is true for us. And there's many things that we can look at throughout life and see and put together and go, you know what? I just believe it. I believe it. And it's not a blind faith. It's based on all these other things that are around me that are screaming to me like, here's the proof. Here's the evidence. So I'm just going to give you a few of them uh, this morning to consider. Number one, let's consider the writings about Jesus and about just different people who've ever lived. How many of you believe um, in a person named Alexander the Great that lived you know, in our history books, we talked about him. Anybody? Raise your hands. The first service did horribly. But, so we all skipped out of history class. Alexander the Great, come on, he was great. Alexander the Great, who lived approximately 350 years before Jesus, everything that we know and believe about the person of Alexander the Great, we believe that he was real and he lived. We base it off of two, primarily two biographical historical books that tell us about Alexander the Great. Two. Now, there's a lot more people that we could talk about for the sake of time. Let's just focus on him and then contrast that with Jesus. 
Those that talk about the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus, even the resurrection of Jesus, if you were to collect all the documents, the parchment, the, the papers, the books, and all that, it would number 25 plus thousand writings about the life, the ministry, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? You're not saying, well, but those are all Christian authors. Of course, they're all going to get on the same page and write the same stuff. No, no. There's a few of them that are what we consider secular artists, non-biblical or extra-biblical evidence. Pliny the Younger, Cornelius Tacitus, Flavius Josephus, Lucian of Samosota. These all write about Jesus. And so from there, the writings we can look at and go, there was a man named Jesus who lived. And he had a lot of people that followed him. And he was crucified. And we know all this, th- this stuff from just the writings. There's one little nugget of evidence. How about the eyewitness accounts? That's important, isn't it? Eyewitness testimony. It's very important unless that's all you're using because some people are just crazy, right? Let me tell you what I saw. You're like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I believe that, right? But it is a part of it. We, we do eyewitness testimony. What did you see? And so for us, we've got a few things. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all give us from their perspective what they saw in the life of Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrected Christ. And they're like, hey, we we saw him. We were in the disciples in the upper room at at that moment when Jesus revealed himself to us. We saw him. There's their eyewitness testimony. In the time that Jesus was on the earth after his resurrection, around 40 days or so, he appeared like around 10 different times to his apostles to show them that he was real. He ate real food, and he let them touch him, and um, he just proved that he was there. And so for 40 days, he showed himself to the disciples. The women saw him, the apostles, the disciples saw him. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I mentioned it a while ago, it says 500 brethren at the same time saw Jesus. So I mean, that's pretty powerful evidence. It's like not just one person saw him, like, yeah, whatever, what have you been drinking? No, no. 500 plus people at one time and over 40 days, many different times, he was seen by his apostles. That speaks volumes to me, the eyewitness testimony, right? So we have the writings, the eyewitness testimony. And how about the empty tomb? you got to explain that, don't you? I mean, the tomb is empty. Where's Jesus? They rolled up on the tomb. The big stone was in front of it. And they're like, who's going to roll the stone away? Because it's so heavy, right? And then they get there and they realize the stone is already rolled away and the body of Jesus is not there. They were expecting a dead body, not there. Somebody must have stolen it. And so there's this empty tomb. And so the people have tried for years, the critics have tried to explain, why would there be an empty tomb? Well, Jesus didn't really die. Really? It says he was beaten beyond recognition of a man. They said that they put a spear in his side that the water and the blood ran out. Jesus was D-E-A-D, dead, right? No question. Some say, oh, it was a swoon theory. He just passed out from all of the beating and the exhaustion. And later he recovered and he, you know, just kind of skipped out, pushing a huge rock out of the way, by the way, you know, just to escape. No, I don't believe in a swoon theory. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus, right? And so the empty tomb is there. Like, how do you explain the empty tomb? And to this day, still don't know where Jesus is at. Well, I know where he's at. But he ain't on the earth in a tomb. Amen? What about the cover-up? I think this is an interesting one. You can look at what was going on around, and Jesus made all of these outrageous claims that, hey, tear this temple down, and three days I'll rebuild it again. They're like, no way, it's impossible. No, no, I'm not talking about the temple. I'm talking about my body. You you tear this body down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. He was saying, he's calling his shot. I'm going to be crucified, and three days later I'm going to come out of the grave. Right? And so this worried The leaders, the ones that were opposed to Jesus, and so they came up with a plan. Hey, listen, we need to post some guards 
at the tomb. Because here's what's going to happen. And they're just, you know, here's what's going to happen. His followers are going to come steal his body away in the middle of the night, and they're going to claim that he was raised from the dead. And this next deception will be worse than the first. And so here's what we want to do. Give us a couple Roman soldiers, big, tough, burly Roman soldiers, and let us post them at the tomb entrance so no one can steal the body of Jesus. We know how that turned out. The earthquake, the angels showed up, and those big, burly Roman soldiers passed out. You know, they freaked them out, right? And so they got a problem now. We posted guards there, and we just can't handle... People go around saying that Jesus has risen, so we got to come up with a plan. And so what do they do? They go back to the leaders, and the leaders said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to tell everybody that the disciples did, in fact, steal the body. Okay? And you won't get in trouble because if you're a Roman and you fall asleep on the job, it's death for you. But we'll, we'll take up for you. We'll make sure you don't get in trouble. But here's what you're going to do. I'm going to give you a little money under the table. We've never seen that before in politics, have we, right? A little bribe. He says, here's the bribe, and you're going to tell everybody that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. And it says that they still say that to this day. So there's this cover-up to try to hide what really happened, that the body was stolen. But I come back to that no-body problem. There's still nobody's ever been found. Now, just, can you imagine with the advancement in science and the advancement in all the, the technology and stuff we have today, that if we were able to, with DNA determine or prove that Jesus was dead, we'd come up with a body. Don't you think we would have heard it by now? <laughs> I love that, right? I'm like, somebody's going to go, oh, I got it. Yes. They can't. The critics have tried for centuries, and they can't explain away the ministry, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's cool to me. That's another nugget. That's a big one, right? The, the cover-up and the, the body. and You can't dismiss the radically changed life of those disciples. What was going on before Jesus came out of the tomb? So you remember Friday, Peter betrays him. Excuse me, Peter denies him. Judas betrays him. Jesus is arrested, goes to the cross, dies. They witnessed all that. They were very fearful. They were cowards. Some of them just took off and ran. And yet after the resurrection, something extreme happens in their lives. They're changed. They're very confident. They're very emboldened in their faith. In fact, you can't shut them up. And it says that in Acts. It's like, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. It's like, you can tell us what to do, but we can't shut up. We can't quit saying what we've seen and what we've heard. And these disciples just went from cowards to extremely courageous. That, to me, is, is a pretty good evidence that something happened, right? So the writings, the eyewitness accounts, the empty tomb, the, the cover-up, nobody, the radically changed lives of the disciples. Not once did they ever say, hey, it's a hoax, <laughs> gotcha, never happens. In fact, I think it was uh, Chuck Colson um, was talking about why he believes in the resurrection because he was involved in the Watergate stuff. And he said, you know how long it took for the secret of Watergate to finally come out, it, for people to keep their mouths shut? Mm, two to three weeks before somebody said, uh... Hey, it's a hoax, right? And yet we see here with the resurrected Lord and the disciples and their conviction that he was alive, they went to brutal deaths defending what they believed to be his truth. They were dying for the truth. And at any moment they could have said, hey, to save my own skin, hey, it was all a joke, we're just messing with you, psych, you know, Jesus, yeah, we did it. No, they all went to their death holding to this truth that Jesus is alive. You can kill me, you can slay me, you can do what you want, but I'll never deny what I saw. I saw the risen Lord. 
That's pretty cool too, right? The radically changed lives of the disciples, and that's what we get to see in the evidence, but I think probably the most powerful evidence of all, the most powerful proof for any one of us that could motivate us, hopefully, to believe that there's something beyond this life here is the power of a changed life, your story and my story. That's very powerful. You know why? Because you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how wicked I was. I got some family visiting today. Please keep your mouth shut. Don't tell anybody. But you, you, you don't know me. You don't know my life before Christ. And, and I'm just telling you, I once was lost, and now I'm found. I once was blind, now I see. I once was a dirtbag. I am a dirtbag. I was that guy. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am a different man than I am today. No one can refute that. But they can witness it, right? Hey, I noticed so-and-so, man. He used to do all kinds of crazy. He was crazy. And he don't do that anymore. It's like something happened. Mm-hmm. Or that lady, I know how she was in high school, and she's not the same that she used to be. There's just something about a changed, transformed life, something supernatural that happens. And I believe it's one of the most powerful testimonies of all. You say, why do you believe? Let me tell you why I believe. I woke up singing this song this morning. I probably shared it last week. But I don't care. You're going to hear it again. Ready? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. You asked me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Mm, that's powerful stuff, isn't it? Consider just the little the nuggets, the, the, the evidences that we can accumulate. It's not a blind faith, but hey, I have to believe by faith and not by sight. I don't see the physical body of Jesus, but I've got enough evidence around me that I can't explain it away, and I choose by faith, to believe in a resurrected Jesus. And he is still changing lives. And listen, I believe that he still encounters people in many different ways. And an encounter with a resurrected Christ moves us still from doubt to belief. And that's what he wants for all of us, right? In fact, that's the good news. The good news is that whosoever believe, say believe. I didn't say whoever, you know, goes to church every Sunday. That'd be cool. Whoever gives money to the church, whoever does a bunch of good deeds... He says, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the reason he came. Jesus came to the, the earth because we had a sin problem. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's no one righteous, no, not one. And on our best day, we were never good enough to be in the presence of God. And Jesus left behind all the privileges of his position in heaven. He never gave up his deity, but he gave by his, his divine privileges, if you will, and came to this earth. And, and served as, as a servant, and he gave his life as a ransom, as a sacrifice, as a payment for your sins and my sins, right? So that we could be made right with God. And so what is the effects of the resurrected Christ? You know what it tells me? Mission accomplished. What does it mean to me? In one word, everything. The resurrection of Jesus. It means that my redemption is complete. It means the blood that Jesus spilled on the cross was enough to put me in a right relationship with God the Father. 
It means death has been defeated, or, and it means that hell has been conquered, and it means that sin has been forgiven, and sin is no longer powerful over us. It's powerless now in Jesus' name and because of the gospel. That's good news, church, this morning. So why do we celebrate Easter? <laughs> Woo, changes everything, doesn't it? And so my hope would be that for everyone in the room, we would come to this crossroads. And in the crossroads, you've got to make a choice, right? And sadly, you could have all the evidence in the world lay before you, and you could choose still to say, yeah, I don't believe. And I hope that's nobody in the room today. My hope would be that God has shown us, and Romans tells us that none of us are without excuse, that since creation, God has shown us the earth and the sky and all the created things scream that there is a God so that, no man, so that man is without excuse, is what he says. And so that we would examine the evidence, that we would consider all the things that God has graciously given to us, and we put those together like a good little detective and say, you know what, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I think there's something here. And I choose to believe. I choose to trust him with my life. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life is what do you do with Jesus? My friends, that's why he came. So the question is, do you believe? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? He's like, Shane, I don't know how. It's simple. Do you believe that he came to the earth, like we've been saying? Do you believe that he died on the cross? Do you believe that he rose again on the third day? Like, that's a big hurdle to cross over. But for those of us that examine the evidence and God puts it in our heart, like, you know what, I just believe this is truth, and I accept that as truth, and I want to trust in Jesus with my life. I'm putting my trust and my faith in Jesus. My friends, that is saving faith, and it's just that easy. Some people make it harder. Well, you've got to cross your T's and dot your I's. It's grace plus works. My friends, it's Jesus plus nothing. He did all the work. He's the only one worthy of saying how we can be made right with the Father. And it's by grace that we've been saved. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can brag about it. So my question is, do you believe? Have you placed your faith in the gospel? If you're here today and you've not done that, I pray that today would be the day you say, Jesus, I, I believe, I believe, and I trust in you. And that you would trust in him for salvation. Maybe you're here and you've been walking with Christ for some time and you're like, man, I just... You know, I believe, but I still have some unbelief. And my, my hope would be you would be encouraged. And maybe your faith would be just a little bit more emboldened today as you consider the evidences uh, that are around there, that are out there for us to, to believe the resurrection of Christ. Like, you know what? I just believe it. And because I believe it, I'm more confident today than I've ever been. I'm more bold in my faith. And listen, when people come to me and say, you call yourself a Christian? Why do you believe? I, I ain't scared, right? I want to be able to stand up and say, here's exactly why I believe. And even in the threat of taking my life, I can say, hey, what's the worst you're going to do? Send me to meet the one that I want to see so badly just before my time? Bring it on. Go ahead, punk. I'm ready to go see Jesus, right? I'm ready. And so the worst thing that happens is I go see Jesus, but I will not deny what I know to be true in my heart. And that is that Jesus lives. He lives. He lives. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hopefully you're encouraged this morning. And, and I would say this, that if you're here and you're like, Shane, I just, I got questions, man. I got questions and I'm wrestling with this in my faith and I, I want to believe and I don't know where to go from here. And um, I would say that I, the invitation is always open. We'll dismiss the service in a moment. And when we do, I would encourage you to come see myself, David Lance, one of the ministers up front. And we would love to be able to speak with you, pray with you. Or maybe you're like, man, there's too many people here today. I'm not into that. Fill out a card. 
hey, I got questions. I'd like to talk with a pastor. Fill it out. Drop it in one of those tithe boxes at the back of the church. I would love to be able to just communicate with you. But I hope that each one of you truly encouraged today and you can celebrate in your heart that we have a risen Savior. Amen? Amen. He lives. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the, the truth that we hold in our hearts that you live. Lord, no matter what men may say, we know. Because, Lord, the greatest evidence of all is the change of life and what you've done in our own hearts. I thank you for the evidences that you put around us, God, and that's just touching, probably scratching the surface, but for me, those are things that help me solidify in my heart without seeing a physical Jesus, Lord, to just know um, that what I read on the eyewitness accounts is truth. And Father, I can just say that you've changed my life, and I'm so grateful for that. God, I am so grateful that you changed me. I'm not the man that I used to be. And I know that you're no respecter of persons, and that you can do for other people what you've done for me. And my prayer is, is there be any person here today that has not placed their faith in you, that today would be the day that they trust you for salvation. Wonder for the rest of us that just are growing in our faith and want to be stronger in our faith and, and uh, we'll just strengthen our belief. God, I pray that today you would just kind of reaffirm that in our hearts and, and strengthen that up in our lives, that we just know that we know and we believe. And Lord, as a result, it means everything. You've changed our lives. It means we have hope. It means that we can walk out of this door into a crazy world and face whatever is going on outside and whatever we may face in life because we know greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Father, we just thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. We ask that you be honored in our lives as we leave this place today. And we ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.